Rots a righteousness tends to be long. So keep your love on, on. Welcome to the Get Your Love On podcast. Our mission to share God's love through the truth of His Word. In each episode, we learn how to simply walk with God every day. This podcast punts phony religion and offers real salvation through Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's straightforward and it's straight from the Word. We have free resources for you at getyourloveon.org. That includes a free video series to bless you, free Bible studies to strengthen you, and of course, we'd always love to hear from you. You can contact us at getyourloveon.org. We have an amazing episode, so let's Let's go. Keep your love on, child. Let it shine bright, bright, bright. Keep your love on, on, on. There are no politics before God. Only one simple question. Are you a friend or a foe of God Almighty? Now, if we choose to be friends of God, we get to be victorious for all eternity. And it's really, it's just that simple, my friends. The world now would try to muddy the waters and confuse things and complicate things. But the word of God is just that simple. Our faith comes down to that one question, friend or foe of God Almighty. And when we answer that in truth, in the very depths of our soul, we will know how to proceed. God gives us those answers. We actually know how to proceed and even go beyond that. We know how to be more than conquerors through Christ. Romans 8.37 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So we're here on this program, Get Your Love On, to equip each one of us with the tools to do so, to be conquerors, more than conquerors. Because here's reality, my beloved friends, whether people realize it or not, It doesn't change this reality. We are in the midst of spiritual warfare. And more and more are waking up to this truth and the very real implications of it. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, in just a few minutes, we're going to hear from an incredible minister what this scripture outlines and what this wrestling match really looks like and how we can be overcome and be victorious. The word gives us that very wonderful instruction for victory. We'll have that in just a few minutes again. So stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss that message. It's very eye-opening and full of the love, grace, and mercy of God that he ensures we have the right information, the right knowledge, and all the tools to walk in victory before him. Uh, It's such a gift to have the truth. So again, each person on this planet, whether they realize it or not, is in the midst of this spiritual warfare. That's a fact. And it's kind of like our heartbeat, you know, Whether we're aware of it or not, it is happening. And the more we become aware, the more we can gather information that adds to our understanding, the more we can ensure we're healthy and prevent damage. So if we take care of our heart, for instance, exercise, eat right, studies also show that laughing and loving is very helpful and and builds your heart too and strengthens your heart as well. We'll see good results if we do those things. 
If we neglect or ignore that important information, there will be consequences. So again, we want to add to our knowledge. It's the same thing with spiritual matters. This show is here on these airwaves to help us increase our knowledge, increase our love and faith in God. And according to John 4, 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So to do so, it seems a good thing to increase our knowledge in spiritual matters, right? Now, again, most people, most Christians are very unaware of this. They're unaware of spiritual matters. They don't know how they operate. They don't know how to necessarily overcome. And it happens through the gift of the Holy Spirit. So lucky are we that we have tools to be victorious through the gift of the Holy Spirit. If this is the first time you're hearing about the Holy Spirit and how to have it inside you, go to getyourloveon.org. We have the perfect Bible study. It's very thorough and it will help help you if you've never, if you don't know about the Holy Spirit and how to get it inside you. Uh, that's the key to being victorious in all spiritual battles. See, most people assume that what we see with our eyes in the physical That's all there is because that's all they can see. But there is so much more. So how do we learn about these things? How do we know more about God and more about spiritual matters? These are the very important matters that lie under the surface, the heart of matters. It's the word of God. That's right. We have the tools in the Bible. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible is our instruction manual for all spiritual matters. We get to rely on it and go to the word for understanding. And really, when we understand spiritual matters, the stuff on the surface makes a whole lot more sense. So not only do we get to learn of spiritual matters, learn the word, draw closer to the Lord, but we also get greater knowledge and understanding in all things. It's a win-win. And we are so blessed here to have a team at Get Your Love On that studies the word diligently and can teach the word in wisdom and help us want even more. We have a series on YouTube. It's called The Sermon on the Mount. And uh, you know the saying, go the extra mile? Did you know that's in the word of God? Well, we're going to hear that today. So this is part 20, awesome learning and awesome teaching to help build our knowledge of God building our faith and all of our understanding in God Almighty. So again, this is part 20. Each segment is about 15 minutes long, 10 to 15 minutes long. And uh, after you hear part 20, I guarantee you're going to want to go back to parts 1 through 19. But this is our wonderful friend. His name's Corey. This is Sermon on the Mount, part 20. Let's go to verse 41. It says, And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain or two. Now, this is kind of interesting. Compel to go, in the Greek, it means to be a courier or to press someone into public service. Now, back then, couriers were runners. They're messengers. They delivered very important messages of official business. They had to be discreet. They had to be trustworthy. They had to deliver those messages accurately and quickly. 
they had to run for miles, city to city, to deliver these messages. And usually they were slaves or conscripted foot soldiers. Often those official matters were of a military nature, so they had special soldiers that would be sent out as runners to carry these messages. Now, spiritually speaking, we as Christians, we are the Lord's messengers. We're the Lord's couriers in this world, carrying the Lord's message to whosoever he appoints us to do so. And we're appointed by him to be those messengers according to his will. In other words, like those conscripted soldiers, that's non-voluntary. When you're conscripted into the army, that's not of your own will. It's, requ it's required and it's appointed by someone else to do so. It's the same thing when we're the Lord's messengers, we're not doing that of our own will. That's a, it's appointed by God to do so. And the thing about conscription is you can avoid that, but there's pretty serious consequences for, you know, dodging the draft. Same thing with the Lord. When the Lord's appointed us to be a messenger for a soul or souls, if we try to duck out of that, there's consequence for that. But when the Lord has us deliver his message to a soul, whatever capacity it is, it's in, could be as simple as sharing the love and joy of the Lord, or it could just be absolutely preaching a message that delivers their soul. We're laying hands on them and healing by the Holy Ghost. But whatever, whatever capacity the Lord gives us to deliver his message to a soul, we do so willingly and we do so faithfully. We don't push ourselves in of our own will, but we follow the Lord's will willingly, not fighting against him. And like those couriers, they had to be discreet. They had to be trustworthy. They had to deliver those messages accurately and promptly. We're to be the same way as the Lord's messenger. We do it faithfully. So whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him too. To go, that second go in this verse, it means to lead under. In other words, we're under the leading of the Lord. There's humility involved in being that messenger as well. It's not us being big shots over other souls. We follow the Lord's leading and do what he wants us to do. Jesus said, don't just go one mile. He said, go two. Uh, one way of looking at, at that is you don't only go that one mile to deliver the Lord's message. You return again to wait on the Lord to get another message. Go one mile out, come one mile back. Two miles. It's one way of looking at it. It's not, And that is our walk. It's not just a one-shot thing and, oh, I've done a good work for the Lord, so now I'm good to go. We continue in it deliver what the Lord gives us to deliver, and then we come back and wait on the Lord and see what else he has for us to do to deliver something else. It's a continuous thing. And in that diligent work before God, again, the natural reflects the spiritual. We also do that diligent work in our natural jobs. Colossians 3 verse 22 says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God, keeping that focus on the Lord. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So we're here to serve the Lord. We're here to be the Lord's messengers. But even with our natural dealings, our natural jobs that we have, we're to show that same diligence before men. Because in living that scripture, 
we not only go a mile for man, but we also go a mile for God. That's another way of looking at what the Lord said. When they, want, when they compel you to go one mile, go with them two miles. We walk righteously according to the natural, but we also walk righteously according to the Spirit. And in showing that good example before natural man, that gives the opportunity for others to consider their own conduct and to change that conduct to follow what is good and right before God. Again, that's a mercy of God that we show that good example because we may have co-workers that maybe aren't so diligent, but if they see our good example, they may say, hey, that guy's getting blessed. I want to be like him. Follow that good example and change to be like you. So it raises their habitation. Could be there's an employer that's heavy-handed, maybe doesn't treat his employees so well. But if you show that same diligence in your work that you show before God, that employer may see your good example and say, hey, maybe I should treat this person better. Maybe I should treat all my employees better because they're doing good for me. There's a lot to it. We go the extra mile. That saying, go the extra mile, again, comes from this scripture here that the Lord spake. We're going to go on in verse 42 here of Matthew 5. It says, Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Now, he didn't say just give to everybody. He said, give to him that asks. To him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Now, as Christians, as the representatives of Jesus Christ here on earth, our job is not only to show that good example of a holy life, but it's also to give the opportunity for those who God puts it in their heart to do the same. Our good example, our mercy and love that we show to the human soul gives opportunity for others to do likewise. That's why we show that good example. And again, it's not to everyone, but it's to those that are you know, asking of God. Lord said, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. That's Luke 11, 9. Those that are asking of the Lord, those that are seeking of the Lord, those that are knocking on the door to get the Lord's attention, whether it's that direct interaction or it's to you, the, the Lord's representatives, he'll open to them. That's why we have that good example so they'll know there's something there to go to, to ask of. Now, he said two things in this verse. He said, give, and he also said those that would borrow. So to give, and he said to loan, basically is what he said here. So to those that would borrow of you, that means you're loaning something to it. You're loaning on interest. To give something, as when you give a gift, that's something that may not have a return with it. It's freely given, freely received, but there may or may not be something that comes back. But when you loan something, there's something that comes back. The thing that's loaned gets returned. And he specifically said, referred to something that's loaned on interest. There's interest involved on that loan. Now, the thing about a loan is the longer that loan goes on, the more the interest accumulates over time and the more comes back over and above that principle that's given out. Now, what's the spiritual significance of that? When we show the patience and long-suffering to a soul. Like when we, when we give out and we keep giving out, we're giving that soul that opportunity 
to learn and grow in the Lord and come into the fullness of his spirit, to reach that full spiritual maturity that we call perfection. And in doing that, we earn interest in our account with God. And we stick with it, even if they're still making mistakes and still learning, we stick with that soul, show that long suffering, keep going and giving them what they need and pouring into them. That abounds not just to their account, it's not just them the benefits, but we benefit too. God sees that as interest accumulating in our account when we show that patience and long suffering. And that can go on for quite a season. I mean, we know some that have borne for many years with others to bring them into a fuller and deeper place with the Lord, as we've had to learn and grow too. I mean, I've had to go many places myself and learn many things. And there have been faithful souls that have stuck with the Lord and have been very patient and long-suffering with myself to teach me the right way and help me grow into the deeper things of the Lord. We do that for one another. And it abounds to their account. That interest has accumulated greatly to their account. And it accumulates to our account when we do the same. We give out the word. We stick with those souls and don't turn away from them. Because if we turn away from them, we don't give it out. Guess what? They don't have any chance to get anywhere with God at all. That account is zero for them and it's zero for us as well. God wants us to give out the word and multiply it. Remember the parable of the sower, the seed that was planted in good ground. It grew and multiplied and brought forth fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. In other words, went out to others, didn't just stay in itself. Now, all of these things that we covered in the last few verses, 39 to 42, all those things Jesus says to resist not the evil that comes with them. And again, we covered that meaning of what the word evil means. There can be hurtful things involved in taking those righteous stands. Even in nurturing those souls and helping them grow up, there can be some pain involved. See, performing the Lord's word, that may not always be fun or easy or comfortable or painless, but we will receive a just reward for our works of faith. And we will obtain that same mercy of the Lord that we've shown to others. That's what's at the end of it. We're not looking to get something out of it in this life. The Lord will bless us in this life when we're faithful to him. But really, what we're looking forward to is what comes after this life. That eternal habitation on the right hand of the majesty on high. That glorious and permanent unity and bond with God the Father and his Son and the Holy Ghost. Far beyond all of this. That's a reward. And that's why we endure the things we have to endure. That's why we endure that smite on the cheek and turn the other one. That's why when that coat maybe gets taken, that's why we let that cloak go as well. That's why we go that extra mile. That's why we give out and keep giving out so that we can obtain the full reward that the Lord has for us. And in all those things, it gives opportunity for the other to obtain likewise. This is Get Your Love on Radio, and that is our friend Corey. He has a beautiful series on our YouTube channel called The Sermon on the Mount. That was part 20, and as you heard, 15, 20 minutes, or 10, 15 minutes 
builds our faith so much. So again, go ahead and binge on that content if you'd like. Uh, you can go to getyourloveon.org and all the videos are linked there as well. Thank you so much for being here. Um, up next, we have some vital information. I'm really excited for all of us to hear this next message. In 2 Peter chapter 1, let's start in verse 5. It says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. So God is so gracious. He's so patient. His mercy endures forever. And he understands us and helps us in all things. And I love this scripture because it's a reminder that there is a process in God. He builds layer upon layer. First, he lays the foundation, salvation and remission of sins through the name of Jesus Christ and Nazareth and through baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. So we have a really thorough teaching on that as well at getyourloveon.org. I encourage you to take full advantage of the resources there. And then God, once he lays that foundation, once we are baptized for the remission of sins, our past is washed away, we are a new creature walking forward with God. He builds according to each individual soul and their unique personality. Now, here's a little example. If we're looking at a house that's in the middle of being built and perhaps there's just the foundation and maybe the frame that's been laid, we won't be able to see where the light switches are going to be, right? But the builder knows exactly where they're going to go. And God knows how to build each one of us in the right way to ensure that when it's time to turn on the lights, the groundwork has been laid and those lights come on. Now, the next message is going to turn on a lot of lights for all of us, and it's going to help all of us grow immensely in discernment, get us wiser than ever before to Satan and his tactics. It's an invaluable show to supercharge our knowledge and continue to build the right way and, again, learn about those very important spiritual matters. Now, Brother Bob, God's true apostle and a great teacher of the word, you've heard him on this show many times. He's my spiritual grandfather. He always said, you know, if you don't understand something in the Bible or something that's being ministered, he had a great way of saying, just put it on the shelf. <laughs> put it on the shelf and ask God to reveal it to you. Because sometimes there's more building that God has to do before we're really ready to fully understand a matter. But when we put it on a shelf and continue to move forward in our faith, then boom, the aha moment happens, the lights come on. And it's wisdom to allow God to build our knowledge before him and simply trust in him. In Proverbs 16, verse 20, it says, He that handleth a matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. We get to trust in the Lord. We get to grow in his word, grow in the knowledge of spiritual matters, and truly worship God in spirit and in truth. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful gift to have this knowledge. 
and to be able to apply it to our lives. And then once we get it going in our life, once we have those victories through Christ in our own lives, in our own testimony, then it's a wonderful thing to give it out, as we heard our friend Corey talk about, to be that true messenger of Christ. So let's make sure that we have it for ourselves, that we're walking in it, that we're living it, and then we can move forward and begin to give it out before the Lord. It's a wonderful thing. This message um, that we're about to hear from our beautiful friend, Trish, she does a wonderful job introducing it, so I'm going to let her do that. Uh, But it is truly one of those messages that can deliver souls for the rest of their lives. So let's make sure our ears are really uh, tuned. If you've got a cell phone nearby, if you've got TV on or other things going on, put it away, remove distractions, Let's focus on the Word of God. Let's clue in on these spiritual matters. And let's be victorious. And let's watch the Word of God ripple across this land in His ultimate wisdom, in His incredible strength. And let's be part of this wonderful movement of God. All right, without, I'm done now. You got to hear this. This is from our wonderful friend, Trish. Well, greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth and God the Father. I'm going to continue today in teaching about spirits. It's something that is desperately needed in this time and hour because the onslaught against the people of God is so great. So today I'm going to cover witchcraft, divination, and familiar spirits. And I'm going to explain. Uh, I'll, I'll start out by giving you some definitions, and then I'm going to give you scriptural coverage of these spirits in action. Now, the first definition I'm going to give you is the definition of witchcraft. Now, the Strong's Concordance Hebrew meaning of witchcraft is to engage in witchcraft, be a sorcerer, witch, sorcery often with the associative meanings of rebellion and seduction into false religion. The Strong's Concordance in the Greek, witchcraft, magic, the use of spells and potions of magic, often involving drugs and sorceries. Now, the dictionary definition of witchcraft is the use of sorcery or magic, communication with the devil, or with a familiar spirit, an irresistible influence or fascination. Wicca, a religion that is characterized by belief in the existence of magical powers in nature. The use of magical powers obtained especially from evil spirits. Now here are some of the synonyms of witchcraft. Bewitchery, bewitchment. Conjuring. Now conjuring means to summon a devil or spirit by invocation or incantation a use of spells or verbal charms spoken or sung as part of a ritual of magic. That's what an incantation or conjuring really is. Devilry or deviltry, action performed with the help of the devil. Diablery, dealings with the devil. These all cover witchcraft, wickedness and mischief, enchantment, hex, 
cast a spell on or curse. Wizardry, the art or practice of magic. Mojo, necromancy, sorcery, lying signs and wonders. Voodooism. Now, voodooism is a black religious cult in the Caribbean and in the southern United States, combining elements of the Roman Catholic ritual with traditional African magical and religious rites, and characterized by sorcery and spirit possession. That's what voodooism is. And those things are actively going on on the face of the earth. Now, I'm going to give you scriptures on witchcraft, divination, and familiar spirits. And we're going to cover how God views them, how they act, what they do, and, how, and what God thinks about it, and how God reacts to it. The first thing I'm going to cover is in scripture, these things are prohibited. They're not allowed. In Leviticus 19, verse 26, Ye shall not eat anything with the blood. No drinking blood, human or animal. Neither shall you use enchantment nor observe times. Observing time is readers of the stars, horoscopes. The definition of enchantment is a magic spell. Leviticus 19.31 Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Now the definition of a familiar spirit, and we will have scriptures that will cover this later on. The definition of a familiar spirit is a spirit or demon that serves or promotes an individual. The spirit of a dead person invoked by a medium to advise or prophesy. The Strong's Concordance in the Hebrew, one who communicates with and conjures ghosts or spirits or calls them up. And they're doing it by a demonic force. Now, I have seen people appear to me that had gone on, but the Lord was standing with them. And there was always something that the Lord would convey or show me. There's a big difference. Definition of wizards. A person who is skilled in magic or who has magical powers. A sorcerer or magician. Deuteronomy 18.10. Let's start there. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter pass through the fire. Now, there are rituals that will sacrifice their children. They do that today. They will kill their children. And usually, and, and they are actually sacrificing it to Baal when they do that. But they will kill their children. And that blood sacrifice is that sacrifice to Baal. And usually it's motivated by selfish motivations. Usually that's the motivation behind it but it's done by the tens and tens of thousands today. You wouldn't think so, but it does. It happens. Or that useth divination, or observer of the times, or an enchanter, 
or a witch. There shall not be found among you any of these things. Now divination, the Strong's Concordance in the Hebrew of divination is a pagan practice of determining the future by examining the position of stars, communication with the dead, or with spirits, examining animal organs, or casting lots, witchcraft. That's divination. The definition of divination, the art or practice that seeks to foretell, foresee or foretell future events, or discover hidden knowledge, usually by the interpretation of omens, or by the aid of supernatural powers. Unusual insight, intuitive perception. The practice of using signs, such as an arrangement of tea leaves or cards, or special powers to predict the future. Now, I want you to remember that the devil has a substitute for everything that God has. God will give a Holy Ghost person, and you'll see he gave it to his prophets often. He'll give them the gift of knowledge. You'll read it all through the Bible. Well, Satan, he does his through evil spirits. And he usually will interject things for wicked means. And we'll go on with that. All right. Deuteronomy 18 continued in verse 11. And none of these should be amongst God's people or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. So God will actually drive these spirits out before thee. And he will drive them away by using his voice against them and commanding them to leave and using his word to nullify them. All right. The definition of necromancy, conjuring of the spirits of the dead for purposes of magically revealing the future or influencing the course of events. Now, do you see how there's an evil intent there? They want to influence your mind and influence the events. All right. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 14, for these nations which thou shalt possess, hearken unto observer of times, this world right now, they hearken unto observer of times and unto diviners. But as for thee, people of God, the Lord thy God hath not suffered thee so to do. You're not to enter into these things. You're not to entertain them. You're not to do any of these things. You're to remove them far from you. Jeremiah 10 verse 2. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven for the heathen are dismayed at them. You don't have to be dismayed at any of these things. Do you know why? This is why. Over in Isaiah 54, verse 14, in righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression because these spirits will oppress 
the human soul. For thou shalt not fear and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. See, God will put a hedge of fire around about thee and his glory will be within thee and it will cast all those things far from you. So you don't need to fear. Psalms 27, 5. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. I'm going to read Psalms 31, 20. Thou shalt hide them in the secret of thy presence from the pride of man. Thou shalt keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Now there's a very high, haughty spirit behind all of these workings. They're proud and they don't fear God, but God is, has a place designed, a pavilion, a place designed for his holy people that resist these things, counter these things, reject these things, and rebuke them and cast them far from them. And when you do that, and you stand in the righteousness of God and in his commandments, he will hide you in this place that he's provided for you, his pavilion. And he will keep you from the strife of their tongues, the curses, and everything that goes out over the land that they try and proclaim. God will protect and deflect it and protect you from it. Now here's a warning from God over in Jeremiah 27, and I'm going to start in verse 4. Because remember, who is the author and creator of all things? The eternal God of all things, the God our creator. And this is what he told the prophets to go and say to the leaders that were in the land at that time. He had to remind them of this and commanded them to say to their masters, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, thus shall ye say unto your masters, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground. By my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given it unto whom it seemeth meet unto me. I put in power who I deem to put in power, my control. And now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. I've done this. See what he's telling them? I put this man in a place of authority. And the beasts of the field have I given him also to serve him. Now those beasts come in many forms. There's four-legged and two-legged. You can re research it in the scripture. An unconverted soul, God sees them as a brute beast because they do not have the understanding of God. They do not have his spirit in them and they partake and interact in the spirits that are out in the devil's realm that are upon the face of the earth. So they have a beastly nature and a beastly behavior. But God put this king over them. He put this man, he chose this man to be in authority over them. In verse 7, And all nations shall serve him, and his son, and his son's son, until the very time of his land come. 
and then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, be obedient, that nation will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword, the word of God, and with the famine, he'll remove his spirit from them, and with pestilence, the curses that come along with that, until I have consumed them by his hand. Therefore, hearken not ye to your prophets, nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying, Ye shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you to remove you far from your land, and that I should drive you out, and ye should perish. Now today, that land is a spiritual land. It's that pavilion of protection that God has provided. And if you fall prey to a false prophet, well, I'm going to read the next scripture, and I'm going to go on, and I'm going to tell you exactly what happens when you believe a lying spirit. And I'm going to give you an example of lying signs and wonders. You will lose your place before God if you listen to them. I'm going to go back and repeat that. They prophesy a lie unto you to remove you from your land and that I should drive you out and you should perish. They want to drive you out from that safe place. And I'm talking to those that have a heart towards God, desire to go forward with him and serve him in truth. Be careful. Do not believe a spun lie. Stand fast in the sovereignty of God and the power and the authority of his appointment and know when it's God that's doing these things. Here's an example of lying signs and wonders. I'm going to give you some. Matthew 24, 24. Here's a warning. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and they shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. The only way you're going to be able to escape that deception is by actually knowing God personally. Read his word, be filled with his spirit, know how to recognize when it's God talking and when it's one of these false Christs. Second Thessalonians 2, starting in verse 3, here's your warning. Let no man deceive you by any means. Now that's the, the man out in the world, the one that's governed over by the spirit of this world. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. You will know them because they will stand fast with the worldly spin, with the worldly 
um, what the world projects and with what all these spirits are putting out. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you see how uh, it said says in the scripture that Satan himself shall come and appear as an angel of light? Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? The people here were warned about these things, that they were going to happen and they were going to come. These spirits were going to come. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. He says, I'm just holding off. It's all going to reveal itself. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, the word of God, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. When that word of God comes out, it brings to light the workings of Satan. And those workings are destroyed. The effects of it, the power of it are destroyed. And any that maintain it are destroyed with it. And those that re are, have it revealed to them and reject those things are delivered. It's a powerful working. Even him, this is who's targeted, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. They don't love the truth. They don't want the truth. If they love the truth, they would receive the true word of God, they would receive the true spirit of God. They would receive that true infilling of the Holy Ghost and understanding that comes along with it. But because they don't want it, if they had received it, they might be saved. And for this cause, if they continue to reject it and won't receive the truth and love the truth, for this God, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believeth not the truth. You believe a lie, a spun lie, you will be damned. The scripture says so right there. They won't believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They had pleasure in it. They upheld it. They flaunt it. They fight for unrighteousness. That is not a good place to be. Over in Genesis 6, verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. If you want to enter into and engage in a war with God and try and one-up him, remember, God has the authority to remove his spirit from you and hand you over to those lies. If you don't want to, and you don't love the truth of God, he'll just back off and he'll let you go. He will, he will extend his hand for a season, but if you keep slapping it, slapping it back at him, he'll let you go. Here's some instances in the Bible of witchcraft practiced. 
Second Chronicles 33, verse 1. I'm going to give you some background here. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem, but did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now the Lord had cleaned the land up before this ruler came in. But this ruler came in as a child and he, he entertained himself and allowed all that wickedness to run rampant in the kingdom. And he welcomed it back in. In 2 Chronicles 33 verse 6, And he caused his children to pass through the fire, that human sacrifice of children, in the valley of the son of Hinnon. Also he observed times, and used enchantments, and used witchcraft, and dealt with a familiar spirit, and with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. When those things are left to run loose in, an, in a nation, and run rampant, and are upheld, it provokes God to anger. It says so right there. Isaiah 2, 6, Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east, and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves in the children of strangers. They're entertaining themselves and go getting, going and getting their pleasure from children that entertain strange spirits other than the Spirit of God. All those spirits I just described, they defiled themselves and have gone and entertained them and allowed them in amongst them. And it's defiled them. Nahum 3 verse 4, because of the multitude of whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts that sell nations through her whoredoms, and families through her witchcrafts. That's what those spirits do. They will take and they will enchant and they'll wind up a nation into believing their spun lies and they will sell them to Satan. They will take an entire family and they will get them spun in those lies and once they've got them enchanted and drawn into the lies and believing them and fighting for them, and then they will sell them into bondage to the devil. That is what's going on wholesale through this nation, through this country, and across the face of the earth. God enacted the penalty of death for using witchcraft. Now I'm going to explain that to you how it applies today. Exodus 22:18. In verse 18, it says, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Now, back in the Old Testament, they took it literally. They did not have the same power and authority of God the way we do here in incarnate in flesh. And God had to move in different ways, and they actually had to physically enact these things. Today, what we're fighting is a spiritual warfare. 
It's a war in the heavenlies. And the when you don't suffer, how you don't suffer of which to live is you use the word of God to cut off and mortify the deeds of a witch. Those powers that they exercise, that spun word that those they put out, those enchantments that they use in their speech, that flood of words that would swallow up the human soul. You counter it with the word of God and the word of God cuts off its authority, its power, its ability. It cuts it off and it mortifies it. It says you mortify the deeds of the flesh. Witchcraft is a working of the flesh. To mortify means you kill it. You kill it off. It's a spiritual thing. It is not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. The physical enactment is just removing it out of your life, banning it and removing it out of your life. And that's how you mortify it. You do not allow it to have any kind of effect. You hear how they go out and they try and kill your influence. That's mortifying. You kill their influence. They're trying to kill the influence of God. You in turn are killing their influence. I want to make that perfectly clear that it is a spiritual warfare, not a physical one. Leviticus 26, and the soul that turneth after such as have familiar spirits and after wizards to go a whoring after them, I will even set my face against that soul and will cut him off from among his people. That protection, he'll cut them right off, remove them out of the midst of the people of God. Leviticus 20 verse 27, a man also or woman that hath a familiar spirit or that is a wizard shall surely be put to death. Their deeds will be mortified. They shall stone them with stones. That stone is the rock Christ Jesus, his word, his power, his authority. Their blood shall be upon them. Now there's a way to deliver somebody. And I'm going to go into it about that blood being upon back on them. That means they are going to suffer the penalty of their evil deeds. And I'm going to go into this over in Ezekiel 3, starting in verse 17. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Now this is referring to the God-fearing people the ones that are called of God. I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel over the people of God. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. That is what is happening today. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. He's going to die, but I'm going to require his blood at thine hand because you did not warn him. He didn't even have a chance to get it right. Today, you have an opportunity to get it right. If anybody's been beguiled or bewitched by any of these workings, you know how to get it out of your life. You know how to reject it. You know how to counter it. 
You know how to get filled with the Holy, get baptized under holy hands, get filled with the Holy Ghost, and get the in, get the infilling of that Holy Ghost and start exercising it and get into the Word of God and be led by Him. Yet, in verse 19, if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, his blood will be upon him. But thou hast delivered thy soul, his blood will not be upon you, you will be free. Because you warned him, his blood is on him, if he rejects it, if he will not receive it, but your hands will be clean. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness, now he's talking about a righteous person here, and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because thou hast not given him a warning. Well, I am warning the righteous today. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness which he hath done shall not be remembered. You will be wiped out. Everything you ever did before God will be wiped out of the book of remembrance and it will be not remembered by God if you continue in sin. But his blood will I require at thine hand. Now I actually saw the Lord came to me one day and he brought a soul that had left this light and this soul stood beside him and bid to have audience of me, and the Lord allowed it. And this soul stood and screamed. And they held out their hands, and they screamed, tell them what I didn't tell them. And their hands were covered with blood. I actually saw that. The Lord let me see it. Because they did know the ways of the Lord, and they went off to entertain their own folly, their own flesh, and, and enjoined themselves to the world and their fleshly deeds. And he didn't forewarn them, even though he knew they shouldn't be doing what they were doing. He didn't forewarn them. And he had the knowledge of what was right and what wasn't. And when his hour came, his hands were covered with their blood, and he screamed to me, go tell them what I didn't tell them. And that is a warning from God. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live because he is warned. Also, thou hast delivered thy soul. I've delivered my soul today to you, I've given you every opportunity to have your soul be cleared and clean and made pure and your garment unspotted by the, the workings of this world. That is exactly what's happening right now and what I'm doing right now. And it is the charge for every soul that has this understanding and this knowledge to do the same. In Micah 5 verse 12, and I will cut off witchcrafts out of thine hand, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. God says, I'm going to cut them out of your hand, and thou shalt have no more soothsayers. The definition of soothsayer, a person who predicts the future by magical, intuitive, or more rational means. A pro 
prognosticator. Now the definition of a prognosticator is someone to foretell from signs or symptoms to predict, to make a prognosis about the probable outcome of something. A prognosticator. I think we've heard uh, one say they had a, they were very pragmatic. You know, when God comes to deliver a soul out from natural reasonings and entertaining spirits other than the mind of God and uh, spirits other than God, he will give them opportunity to clear themselves of those things, as the scripture clearly says. And if they won't, after God has extended his hand, I've actually seen this happen. God would extend his hand over and over and over and sometimes for years. But they did not. They resisted and did not love the truth. They loved their own ways. And God finally, he withdrew his spirit from them and let them go into those things that they entertained. And it carried them off. Now I'm going, the next um, instance of things I'm going to cover is death inflicted for witchcraft. Joshua 13, verse 22. Balaam, also the son of Beor, the soothsayer, did the children of Israel slay with the sword among them that were slain by them. Now see, the children of Israel rose up and they slew Balaam. Why? Because he was a soothsayer. Today, the people of God need to actively slay the spirit of Baal. That the working of Baal that goes through the land with the word of God, with their righteous stand, and remove it out of their lives, out of their churches, out of their presence, out of their families, and restore their, their churches and their families and their own lives back to a safe place, that pavilion of God, and back to the commandments of the Lord, which are easy and his burden is light. Just obey him and follow after his word and follow after his spirit, and you will be restored whole. Now, this is what happens when you fall prey to rebellion, which is as the sin of witchcraft. I'm going to give, again, a demonstration. It happens today just like it happened back then. It's no different today than it was back then. Go to 1 Samuel 15, start in verse 13. And Samuel, the prophet, came to Saul, and Saul was king at that time, and said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now Saul said unto, unto Samuel here, see what Saul's doing? He's buttering Samuel up. Now Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him, blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He lied right there. Whose influence was he under right there? He was under the devil's influence because the devil is the father of lies. And he's trying to convince a prophet of God that he's done all of these commandments. Do you think that's going to work? I don't think so. And Samuel said, and this is the prophet answering him back, What meaneth then 
this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen with that which I hear. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people, they did it, spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest have we utterly destroyed. All right, now I'm going to give you a little backstory, and it's going to clarify this even more when we read on. But Samuel came to Saul and gave him very particular instructions from God that he was to slay everything, man, woman, child, beast, everything, the king, everything from the king all the way down. He was to slay them all and they weren't to touch any of it. They were to leave it there and destroy it all because it was so polluted in the sight of the Lord. The spirit that was in them was so wicked in the sight of God. He says, you wipe them all out. And see now, now here Saul saying, we did what he asked us to do. And then he says, well, the people spared the beasts, the best of the sheep and the oxen. And the reason they spared it was so they could sacrifice it to the Lord. That's not what God told them to do. He told them to destroy them all. And now Saul's saying, well, the people did it. And they did it so they can sacrifice. See how he's trying to justify? He's trying to cast blame and he's trying to justify again. Spirit of the devil. And he says, but the rest of it we've utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said unto Saul, stay. You just stay right here. And I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. I'm going to tell you what the Lord told me. And he said unto him, say on. Go ahead and tell me. And Samuel said, when thou wast little in thine own sight, when you weren't puffed up, wast thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? Didn't I make you king over Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. Didn't I, didn't I give you this honor? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners of the Amalekites and find, fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? See, you can't do a portion and hold a bit back. That Well, I, I, I will do this that God's commanded me to do, but... I'm kind of fond of this part, so I'm going to maintain this part. I like to do this. Even though God told me I shouldn't, I'll justify it. I'll spin it around and make it look like it's a real godly thing. Yeah, well, they kept those things for, so that they can sacrifice it to you. The spin, the ungodly spin. No, God is God. What he says, he says. Mm-hmm. Well, here's Saul coming back again. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, oh yeah, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Well, what is Agag? He's an Amalekite. He didn't destroy him. He's lying straight face again, but he's trying to justify himself. Well, I killed everybody else, but I brought the king back. But I did exactly what God said. I killed everybody else. See how he's trying to spin it a little and twist it and justify it? Well, let's see if the prophet, a prayed up prophet, full of the Spirit of God, bought into it. 
And again, he's pointed it back, throwing the rest of the blame back on the people. But the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the chief of the, of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgad. Well, the people did it. I know that, see, he admitted he knew it should have been utterly destroyed. But they kept it so they can use it for sacrifice. I don't think so. Mm -mm. Well, did Samuel buy it? And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? He doesn't care about um, offerings and sacrifices. He wants obedience. He wants you to obey him. Because when you obey him, you're safe. You're sanctified. You're whole. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. It's better off that you obey him. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Bam, right there. The kingdom was taken from Saul right there. It was decided by God right there. Now it took time for it to play out, but it was definitively done right there. And Saul said unto Samuel, now finally, I have sinned. Now he's going to try a different tactic. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words. Because, now, but he's going to cast blame. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Well, it was their fault. So he's trying a different tactic, but it's not going to work. It doesn't matter what tactic the flesh tries. It's not going to work before God. There may be people out there that you can spin with it. There may be thousands of people that you can get to join you in your spin, but it's not going to work with God. And thousands of people aren't going to stand in front of God. You're going to stand in God. Each individual is going to stand before God and give account, each one. So it doesn't matter how many numbers you have standing with you, you're going to stand before God and you are going to give account just like Saul did right here. And none of his spin worked. So he said, I feared the people. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord. Well, just turn, just get rid of my sin and turn again. But look, the declaration was already made. It was already done. He was already cut off. Nothing he says and does is going to work now. Not in this case. Because he's trying the wrong tactics. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee. For thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. That's it. And as Samuel turned to go away, see how stubborn this thing is. He literally tried to physically commandeer a prophet of God. He laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle and rent it. He grabbed a hold of Samuel the prophet and tried to rent it. From and tried to force him. That's the flesh. The flesh is stubborn and it always tries to get its own way. And Samuel said unto him, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day 
and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. He will raise up out of stones sons unto Abraham if you won't humble yourselves before the Almighty God and obey him. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. God will not lie and he will not repent for he is not a man that he should repent. It's God's call. Mm -hmm. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. He doesn't let up. I pray thee before the elders of my people and before Israel and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. So Samuel turned again after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. He allowed him this thing. Then said Samuel, he allowed him, he put up with him. He said, bring me hither, bring ye hither to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came in unto him delicately. At least he knew to do that. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as thy sword, thy word's going out now today to those spirits, hath made women childless, so shall thy mother be childless among women. And Samuel hewed Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. He did what Saul would not do. And he hew him into pieces. He annihilated him. And again, I say what they did in the Old Testament. Today we do in the spirit. It's a spiritual warfare. And you literally use that sword, the word of God, to destroy the works of the devil. Completely destroy it. Then Samuel went to Ramah. And Saul went up to his house to Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord repenteth that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord repented that he'd ever made him king over Israel because of the wickedness. He would not uphold the commandment of God. He would not do what God asked him to do. But Samuel loved Saul very, very, very much. Just because you love somebody doesn't mean that they're going to come through or they're going to obey God. And it grieved Samuel. And I'm going to go on into chapter 16. And I'm going to read verse 1 and see how God viewed it and how he had to shore Samuel the prophet up. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long? Wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Is how long are you going to mourn for him? I've rejected him. Gird yourself up, knit yourself up, put yourself together. Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. We're going to move forward now. You fill yourself up with oil, the oil of the word, the oil of the spirit of God. You get yourself filled up and go forward and go forward in the new thing that I'm doing. I've, I've found me a new king, a new anointing, a new work. Move forward. And Samuel did exactly what God told him to do. And I want to uh, cover you, uh, go down to 1 Samuel 16, verse 5. Samuel immediately did what God told him to do because he obeyed God. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, 
and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming. That shows you the fear of God was present and the recognition of a true spirit of God was present in that family. And they trembled at the coming of a prophet because they knew the power and authority of God walked into their presence and said, comest thou peaceably? They knew the power and the authority that came. So they inquired, are you coming in peace? And he said, speaking of Samuel, peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord, sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. You clean yourselves up and come with me. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. He had to clean them and purify them before the Lord. Well, if your soul is being cleaned and purified today, bless God. Come before his holy anointing and join with him and enter into that pavilion of peace, safety, and comfort. Now I'm going to go further and I'm going to tell you, now you notice how Saul, he, he tried every angle, he tried every trick he had in the books, every source of witchcraft he had to try and spin everything and try and get God to buy into his spin and it didn't work. Now, as it goes on in 1 Samuel 28, verse 3, now Samuel was dead. Samuel did, did give up the ghost. And all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away all those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Now, one time Saul actually did that. He cleaned the, the land up. Because he knew, you know, at that point he obeyed God and he got it all cleaned up. But God's departed from him. So how low did he go? How low did he go? At this point, God took the kingdom away from him, gave it to another. This is a stubborn spirit. Over in 1 Samuel 28, verse 7. Then said Saul to his servants, Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. Isn't that interesting how they knew where the witches were? And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment. And he went and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. See, he's trying to sneak around. And he said, I pray thee, Divine unto me by the familiar spirit. He's going to a familiar spirit now. And bring me him up whom I shall name unto thee. You bring up who I ask you to bring up. And the woman said unto him, Behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land, Wherefore then layest thou a snare for my life to cause me to die? Well, at least they had the fear put in them to at least stay tucked away and not come pouring out into the streets and force themselves on people. And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing. Then said the woman, whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, Bring me up Samuel. 
And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. And the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? And she said, An old man cometh up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? What have you done? And Saul answered, I am sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called thee that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Isn't that something? He's still inquiring of Saul and he's Samuel, Samuel and he wants Samuel to, to tell him what to do now. Then said Samuel, Wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee and is become thine enemy? Don't you ask anything of me. God's your enemy, you don't come to me. If anybody's departed and God has cut them off, don't let them try and draw you back up to them. Uh-uh. God's not talking to you. I'm not talking to you. That's what Samuel's saying to him. No way. God's become thine enemy. Isn't that something? And the Lord hath done to him as he spake by me, for the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand and given it to thy neighbor, even David. Because thou obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executeth his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. It's done. So here's the repercussion. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee into the land of the Philistines. You're going to lose. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. You and your sons are going to die. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So down, go down to 1 Chronicles 10, verse 13. It says, So Saul died for his transgressions, which he committed against the Lord, even against the word of the Lord, which he kept not, and also for asking counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. When he did that, that was the final nail. And he did, him and his sons did die the next day. He brought it upon his head and his son's head. Isn't that something? It's fearful. The stubbornness of that witchcraft and that rebellion. Oof. All right, let's go over to 2 Kings 23, verse 24. Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem 
did Josiah put away, that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah, the priest, found in the house of the Lord. He did what God told him to do. Once he read that, once he had the information from God, he immediately put it in action. Do that today, likewise in your life, if you need to do that. Put it into action and put it into action quickly. Now I'm going to go into the witchcraft of Jezebel. I'm going to explain this spirit because this spirit still exists. It's still around today. You're going to watch its tactics. It's no different today than it was then. So that you can recognize it and mortify it. Get it out of your life. Remove it from your life and counter it with the word of God. Now over in Revelations 20, God is talking to a church in Revelations 20 that literally allowed this spirit to enter in. Do you know the churches have done that today? Many, many of the churches have done this today. Now here's what God had to say and still says today. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, to entertain other spirits, a different mind than my mind, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols, the things of this world, the things that are satisfying to the belly, and that give you gratitude from the world, but are uh, an abomination to God. I'm going to now describe the manipulations of a witch. This is how a witch manipulated things. Then and now. Then physically, now in the spirit. 1 Kings 21, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel hard by the place of Ahab, the king of Samaria. Now that means it was right next door to him. He had, he had property, a vineyard. And Ahab spake to Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near to my house, and I will give thee for it better vineyard than, than it, or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Because I want your vineyard because I'd like to plant herbs there. Not even considering the value of it to Naboth at all. He just wanted it for his own pleasure. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Well, I'll tell any God-fearing soul today, when a spirit comes to you and tries to buy off your inheritance given to you by God, you answer it back, the Lord forbid me. I won't do it. I won't go against the word of God, no matter what you offer me. That I should give up mine inheritance to you for your gift? I won't do it. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased, because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite 
had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my father's. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would not, would eat no bread. All right. So in comes that Jezebel spirit. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel his wife said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. I'll get it for you. I'll do it for you. You just go out and enjoy yourself. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name. While Ahab is off enjoying himself, she wrote letters in his name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters to the elders and to the nobles that were in his city and dwelling with Naboth, right where Naboth was. And she wrote in the letters saying, proclaim a fast, great celebration, and set Naboth on high among the people so that he celebrated. Do this great celebration, celebrating Naboth. And set two men, sons of Belial, sons of the devil, before him to bear witness against him, to lie about him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, accuse him of something. And then carry him out and stone him that he may die. Lie about him and have him killed. Today they spin lies so that they can kill the influence of someone. They will have sons of Belial lie so that they can kill the influence of another. That's how they do it. And the men of his city, even the elders and nobles who were in the inhabitants in his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them. They did it. And as it was written in the letters which she'd sent unto them, in the king's stead, while the king was out enjoying himself. Yep, I think it's really important lesson here for those that rule and oversee even a household they better know what the members of their household are doing and what spirit they're entertaining now ahab allowed her to entertain this spirit and do the things she did because then he got his flesh petted and indulged it's better to stand with god and not indulge your flesh and make sure that your household is clear of any jezebel spirit or any spun spirit, or any lying spirit, or any deceiving spirit, or malicious spirit, or anything. That's just good advice. Now down in 1 Kings 21, verse 15. 
And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, she goes marching in, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. You know, I don't see anywhere here where Ahab asked how that happened. He was just all giddy. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Oh, goody, he got his own way. Things are going my way. Isn't that something? Well, there's death penalty for a witch and e for a witch's evil deeds. They're going to find this out. Over in 1 Kings 21, verse 18. Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel. God's talking to the prophet here. He says, you get up and you go down to meet Ahab, the king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth whether he has gone down to possess it. He's gone into his vineyard to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall the dogs lick thy blood, even thine. Mm-hmm. Isn't that something? You did it to him. It's going to come back and it's going to fall back on your head and it's going to happen to you. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? See how he knew that the, the Spirit of God, he considered the Spirit of God to be his enemy. That's the, how the devil sees it. And he answered, I have found thee. Because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. Isn't that something? He sold himself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. All right, going down to 1 Kings 21, verse 23. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. See, he was compliant there. He allowed that witch to do what she did. He allowed his wife to follow after and entertain and take on and exercise those spirits. Mm -hmm. And he did very abominably in following idols, according to all things as did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. The Lord cast those things out. It's the responsibility of each and every individual to do the same. Cast those things out of your life and cast them out of your family and keep them safe and sound. Cast them out of the churches. Keep them safe and sound. What was interesting is Elijah here, Elijah went forth and he single-handedly cleaned out the camp. He slew 450 of the false prophets that Jezebel had around her, her entourage. 
and he slew them because they called upon the spirit of Baal. And he removed, he first he revealed that their spirit had no power. And then he slew them and he revealed it openly in front of all the people like God is doing today. He's revealing it openly in front of all the people that Baal has no power and God is the one that has power. You should read about it. It's really something. And then when the people saw that God had the power and authority and God rained down the fire and the judgment that was just and right, then Elijah went and he took those, those false prophets and he slew them. He killed off their uh, influence. He killed off their deeds. He revealed their evil deeds and he killed them off. He did them physically then. We do it spiritually now by revealing them and countering it with the truth. Let the truth get out. Uphold the truth. Let the truth come out of your mouth. Not a lie, not a spin. And he was tired. He was worn and he was tired because he had to stand alone. He had to stand up and fight alone. He was tired. So what God did, God was very merciful. Elijah was near the end of his days, but he started a work. When you start a work for God, God knows how to carry it on through. Elijah anoints men to finish the work. Here in 1 Kings 19, verse 15, here's the reassurance that Elijah got. The work that he'd started would be continued. And this is what God commanded Elijah to do. And the Lord said unto him, speaking of Elijah, go return on the way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shephath, of Ambalimola, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. He says, your work's going to continue on. I've anointed people to take up the work and continue it on just like he does today. And I'm going to talk about Jehu, what Jehu did. What Jehu was appointed of God to do. He appointed him king and he was appointed to go forth and he was appointed to abolish witchcraft, to rid the kingdom of those wicked spirits and the effects of what they had created amongst the people. Over in 2 Kings 9, and to fulfill the word of God that was spoken through the mouth of a prophet. In 1 2 Kings 9, verse 22, And it came to pass, when Joram saw Jehu, that he said, is it peace, Jehu? See, he recognized the power and authority of God coming. Now, remember when Samuel came before, he says, is it, do you come in peace? And he said, I came in peace. Well, look at Jehu's answer this time. And he answered, what peace? So long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. There's not going to be peace as long as her witchcrafts are being loosed. And Joram turned his hands and fled and said to Hesiah, 
There is treachery, O Hezekiah. Isn't that something? How those spirits scream out that when a spirit, when the spirit of God is on the land, or when the anointed of God comes to town, that all of a sudden there's treachery. What a lie! What a lie! And Jehu drew a bow with his full strength, and smote Jehoram between his arms. And the arrow went out at his heart, and he sank down in his chariot. Killed him dead right there. Did away with him right there. Stopped that lie from going out right there. Stopped it in its tracks right there. Then said Jehu to Bidkar, his captain, take up and cast him in the portion of the field of Naboth, the Jezreelite, for remember how that when I... And thou rode together after Ahab his father. The Lord laid this burden upon him. Mm -hmm. Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, saith the Lord. And I will requite thee in this plat, saith the Lord. Now therefore take and cast him into the plat of ground according to the word of the Lord. Remember how God said the blood's going to be splattered right where you splattered Naboth? Where you killed him, your blood's going to be there. Well, there it is. There God sent somebody to do it. But when Asahiah, the king of Judah, saw this, he fled by the way of the garden house, and Jehu followed after him. He didn't let him go. He followed after him and said, Smite him also in the chariot. He's uh uh-uh. And they did so at the going up to Gur, which is by Ibelim. And he fled to Megiddo and died there. He only got so far and he died. That word of God is sharp, it's powerful, and it'll go exactly where it's deemed to go. And his servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his sepulcher with his fathers in the city of David. And in the eleventh hour of Joram, the son of Ahab begat, began as Sahiah to reign over Judah and when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it. Okay, here comes Jehu. And she painted her face and tired her head and looked out at a window. She's pretty cocky. And she just stuck her face out there. And as Jehu entered in at the gate, she said, Had Zimri peace who slew his master? She's mocking him. And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? God is saying that today. Who is on my side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs. And he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trod her underfoot. Jehu just stompled her to pieces. He mortified her. When a wrong spirit is there, stomple it to pieces with the Spirit of God, with the Word of God. Don't let it just go off and, and do its thing. You stomple it. You go after it, and you stop it and encounter it with the truth. I saw a little, I heard a report of a young child doing that 
just the other night. A young child was at a, uh, I think it was some sort of sport game. And this other young child came into his face. I think they were about nine years old. And this child came into this child that had the Holy Ghost, this other child of the world came in and said, I curse you. I curse you 20 times. And the child that had the Holy Ghost and the training from God looked back at him and said, no, you don't. And he went and he prayed the prayer of faith and countered that witchcraft and countered that curse. And the authority, the authority of God stands against that curse. And that curse now is put back on the source because you have the power by God to do that. And a child knew to do that. Those curses are being taught to children. Children are doing it. Mm -hmm. So train, rescue your family, train your children. Mm -hmm. Yep, he didn't let it go. He immediately countered it with the power and authority of God. Do you see how that was done? They didn't get into a fist fight. The word of God countered it, and it did counter it. Mm -hmm. So he trod her underfoot. He totally annihilated that spirit so it could not do another evil deed. And when he was come in, speaking of Jehu, he did eat and drink and said, Go see now this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. He finally said, Well, you guys just go and bury her. And they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. Wherefore they came again and told him, and he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the portion of Jezreel shall the dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel. It came to pass. How powerful are those words? It doesn't matter if it's instant. It's been released and it's in motion. How powerful is the word of God? It is that powerful. It will not fall to the ground. And the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung upon the face of the field in the portion of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, this is Jezebel. There was nothing left of her. Now, knowing these things, that's why the people of God, they lift their voice. This is a commandment of God for them. And it says, the Lord says, lift up your voice for God. I know there is a cry amongst God's people right now, and they do lift up their voice. The spirit of Jezebel attacks a prophetic voice. That's what the spirit of Jezebel does. You cannot reason with demons. They are always right and they are prideful. You saw that with Saul. You can't reason with them. They're always right. They're always going to come back at you. They're going to try and um, spin anything they can. They're going to try and beguile you and buffalo you into believing that they're um, still okay so that they can still continue and work behind the scenes and do their evil deeds and still uh, receive all the blessings. Well, God has called us to take back the nations, just like he does all through his book. 
In 2 Corinthians, remember how I've said all through this, it's not a physical warfare, it's a spiritual warfare. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. How is Satan the accuser of the brethren cast down? Through you and I. This is the way he's cast down daily through exercising our power and spirit, just like that young boy did, nine years of age. And we do this as a group of people, believing, God-fearing people, we do this with a unified voice. And I want to give examples of how it was done all through the word from the very beginning, especially since the Lord filled the earthen vessel with his spirit and appointed them to go forth and continue the work that he started. Just like he did for Elijah, he apportioned souls to continue and carry on the work. He's doing it today when he released his spirit back and filled these temples. All right, over in Acts 1.14, and these all continued with one accord and in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. When they did that, when they continued in it with a unified prayer and a unified voice, the infilling of the Holy Ghost was literally, bam, loosed on earth. And clothed in tongues of fire rest upon them, and they were filled with the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. Powerful. Acts 4.24. Here, now they're filled with the Holy Ghost. They're going out and testifying on God, about God. They're continuing his work. They're healing people. They're being reprimanded for it. The devil, of course, that spirit's going to count. The spirit of the devil is going to try and stop anything that God does. He's got control of, the, of people. He doesn't want to lose his control. And when you give them the true word of God, that soul, the lights are turned on and those devils have to flee. They're revealed. And that soul is loosed and freed. And this was happening. And, the, and these apostles that were loosed now, we're going out and doing this and they've been beaten and told not to do it. And they came and told the people and what did the people do when they knew that God was being assaulted? Acts 4.24, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God in with one accord. They enjoined with one enjoined voice and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. There it is. They lifted up their voice with a unified cry. I know God has, at times, he has given me a unified cry for the people to cry out. And if I repeat myself in a cry more than once, it's like Jehu. He pursued after that spirit. He didn't let it go. You do the same thing. You cry out and you take your stand and you cry out until it be done. And you loosen. it. Once it's loosed, you know it is done. There's a big difference between a chant or an incantation and crying out to God under the spirit of the Holy Ghost and getting a unified prayer. Big difference. Mm -hmm. 
Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon you as well that believe and fear him and are filled with his spirit and have that appointment in your life. I will qualify that. Because the Lord hath appointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That's what I, the recent prayer that I'd just gotten from the Lord after waiting on him several days. Because I actually saw uh, signs welcoming witches into our town. And I said, Lord, this cannot be so. This is not allowed. So I, I did. I got a prayer from the Lord. And um, to counter that, to counter that witchcraft, bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives. I want to free the people from that bondage and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Let them be loosed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That acceptable year is right now, right here, right now. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. Being under those oppressions is awful. Curses, vexes, hexes, demonic control. It's awful. Comfort, they will be comforted when they're freed from it. So free them. Free them with all power and authority that God gives you. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes. Lord God, give them beauty. Give them the graciousness and the beauty and the glory of your spirit and the peace that comes with your understanding. The oil of joy for mourning, the infilling of your Holy Spirit. Heal them up. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness have them rejoice and delight in your incredible deliverance and freeing from these things. That they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified, that they shall build the old waste, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. This is the cry. This is the prayer. This is the entreaty of God in this hour for that unified voice to go out with beauty and majesty. And believe me, people, it is not a political thing. It is a spiritual thing because I have prayed this prayer in many forms many, many years and many decades. And I pray for that freedom for God's people. And it is broad and it is large and it is wonderful and it is glorious and it is victorious. So go forward with joy and thanksgiving, knowing that you have a God that cares enough to let the truth be known and to free you and give you hope and give you a pavilion to hide yourself in and be safe from all the wickedness that is loosed in the land in this hour. The Lord bless you. Amen. And thus saith the Lord unto my people, yea, unto my battalions, yea, standing unified, ready to shout against the devil and against his wiles. Yea, thank you for standing unified. Yea, my people know that the walls of Jericho 
were shut down from a unified cry. Yea, my people, indeed the armies of Gideon, yea, sounded a unified trumpet call, yea, to confuse, confound, and destroy the enemy. So, yea, my people, know that this unified cry today against the evil wiles of the devil does indeed confound, destroy, and kill that influence. Thank you, my people, yea, my battalions, standing unified in war against the devil. And this is Get Your Love on Radio. That was awesome. Thank you, Lord. Bless God Almighty. That What you just heard is the gift of prophecy. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you'd like more information about being filled with the Holy Spirit, that is the key to understanding these deeper spiritual matters. And that's how the Lord gives us all understanding is through His Holy Spirit. You can go to getyourloveon.org and we have some beautiful Bible studies about that. And let's, as you just heard, let's march on in great victory. Hebrews 5.14 says, but strong meat. And that's what you just heard. That is strong meat uh, from the word of God. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The Lord just gave us an incredible gift today of knowledge to be able to further exercise our senses to discern both good and evil. March with the good and as you heard, be victorious over the evil. It is spiritual warfare and it is real and God is very real and he is so blessed that the word is going out. His people are getting stronger and stronger and stronger. We love you so much. As I mentioned, uh, we have a Bible study on the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have further Bible studies as well at getyourloveon.org. If you'd like to get baptized, for the remission of sins, have your past washed away, and march forward in, in the newness of life that God gives you, reach out to us. Go to the contact tab. We will help you. And, uh, of course, next week we'll have another wonderful show. And in the meantime, Lord bless you. Um, if you'd like to go back to this show and review it and kind of marinate in it and mull it over meditate on the word of god and what we heard today feel free it'll be up at getyourloveon.org again we love you so much thank you so much for being here my name is julie bueller this show is called get your love on since we spent the past two hours getting our love on let's make sure we keep our love on we'll be back next week lord bless your week Don't let